You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Over the holidays, of course, we banked a couple of shows in advance, which means sitting down to do the top of the show chit chat. There's so much I could talk about. So much has happened in the last couple of weeks. Bill Cosby facing charges for sexual assault. The cop who murdered Tamir Rice not facing any charges at all. Affluenza boy and his mom, enabling mom, that should be her name, are facing charges after being arrested in Mexico. And right now, as I speak, in my neck of the woods up here in the Pacific Northwest, Vanilla Isis is occupying a federal bird-watching facility in Oregon. Or white privilege performance art, as John Marshall at Talking Points Memo called it, which I think is kind of genius, and we all know what he means by white privilege performance art there. If this were a group of armed African Americans seizing a police station, a federal building, in the wake of the murder of an unarmed African-American male or a woman by a cop in an American city, there would be, or if these were Muslims seizing a Popeye's franchise in Encino, there would be no end of panic and hysteria, most of it promoted and generated by Fox News. But these are patriots who are calling for the fall of the United States' of America. These are patriots who are at war with the federal government. So it's okay, I guess. And we should take it slow. I just was reading before we started recording about what they want. The Bundy idiots, Yal Qaeda, Vanilla ISIS, what they want are all federal lands returned to private ownership, which seems reasonable. So goodbye, Yosemite National Park, Grand Canyon, Grand Tetons, Yellowstone, Mount Rainier, and on and on and on. Goodbye. We're going to sell all of that off to who? Who's going to be, who can afford to buy Yosemite National Park? These armed militant yokels, if they could get what they wanted, they're not going to be the ones who end up with Yosemite. It will be the billionaire class. Edelstein, along with the Las Vegas newspaper, will own Yellowstone National Park if the armed militants in Oregon get what they want which they won't. President Obama, another big story, is issuing an executive order that might make it a teeny tiny bit harder for Americans to get their hands on guns or get their hands, our hands on more guns, I should say, since there are already 300 million guns in circulation in the United States, including all the guns currently circulating at that federal birdwatching facility in Oregon. Moving on to the Republican GOP nomination contest, Donald Trump still in the lead. Six, seven months into this, still in the lead. All the pundits told us, I think I said this too, probably on the top of the podcast a million years ago, that he would be in the lead for a month or two and that would be it. But he is still in the lead. He is looking like he is going to be the Republican nominee for president. There was a big front page article in the New York Times a few weeks ago about panic in the GOP donor class and political Class, because if Donald Trump is the nominee, it is going to really harm Republicans up and down the ticket. They think they're going to lose multiple Senate seats. They're going to lose perhaps the House of Representatives. They'll lose governor's mansions, governor's races all across the country. Panic, panic, panic. And as a Democrat and a liberal and progressive, I'm like 
torn because that would be nice if Dems could seize the House. But at what cost? At what cost? Because if Donald Trump is the nominee, we are going to see a race for the White House infused with such demagoguery and race baiting and racism and Islamophobia that people are going to get killed. People will get beaten. People will get attacked. More people. We've seen people beaten at Donald Trump rallies already. It'll only get worse. So I don't want to see anybody get hurt. And I have to weigh that against my desire to see the Republicans go down big. So I don't know what to do with this. Donald Trump might get the nomination. That might do real damage to the GOP. But again, at what cost? The people who might be harmed. And I have to go with the people. So I'm against the Donald Trump nomination officially. I don't want to see more demagoguery, more racism than we already have to deal with in this country, imperiling the lives and safety of more vulnerable people, more Mexican immigrants, more women, more black people, more Muslims. Don't want it. Anyway, Donald Trump still in the lead. That $100 million that Jeb Bush raised for his presidential run, still on fire. Ben Carson's campaign falling apart, Cruz and Rubio tearing into each other, all that's going on, and the New Year's resolvers are all back in the gym. Welcome back, gang. Good to have you. So much going on. Also going on here at the Savage Lovecast, a huge holiday backlog of your questions. So I am not going to take my usual indulgent top of the show, run my mouth a thon and go on for 10 or 15 minutes. I'm going to wrap it up now and get to your questions. Hi, Dan. I'm a 30-year-old woman from the Midwest, and I'm calling because I just started seeing this guy. He's kinky and great and hot. It's fantastic. Except that he's into a couple things that I'm just not into. They're harmless. They don't bother me. They just don't do anything for me. Um, should I lie and pretend like I like him? Or should I be honest? It's just things like sending pictures, dirty pictures, things like that, um, where it makes him really happy if I say I like it. I don't really like it, but it doesn't matter. It's harmless to lie, right? Is this okay? It may indeed, in this instance, be harmless to lie about this. It's not like you're seeing someone who's got these kinks that revolt you and disgust you, and you have no intention of ever indulging him in, and you're allowing him to believe that you're into these things. You're lying to him and misrepresenting your interests in the hopes of him sticking around for the rest of your life. And then what happens? What's the end game there when you do something like that? The end game is, I don't know, you end up painted into a corner where you have to do these things because you lied to this guy and let him think you were into them. And then you have to either do these things that disgust you and revolt you and leave you curled up in the fetal position on the floor in the bathroom later sobbing, or you don't do these things and the guy realizes that you lied to him and misled him in order to nail him down, to have him stick around under false pretenses. But this isn't quite to that level. It's not like you're dating a guy who it's really crucial for his sense of sexual fulfillment to be with a lady who will let him shit on her head. And you're letting him think that, yeah, that's in the cards sometime later, that that's something you're totally into doing with somebody you really love and trust and maybe have had three kids with already. Not the same thing. This is just he likes to send you a dick pic every once in a while and it turns him on for you to pretend that you think it's hot to get those pics every once in a while. If that's the issue, I think that falls under the heading of harmless lie and texts you can delete without really looking at them. He can send you a dirty pic. You can send back a can't wait to jump on that later reply without spending too much time 
staring at the one-eyed snake, right? You can just delete it and move on to your next text or change the subject. Hey, hot dick, what about dinner? What are we doing for dinner? But as a general note, cautionary note to other listeners, usually I would advise people not to lie about their sexual interests. Because if you tell somebody that, yeah, you've always fantasized about having a three-way because they're really into the idea, even though a three-way is something you could never do because you're completely the monogamous type and you could never watch your partner be pleasured by anyone else or be with anyone else, don't misrepresent yourself that way. Don't say, yeah, maybe a three-way like five years down the road, ten years down the road because eventually that bill is going to come due and you're going to refuse to pay it and your partner's going to get really angry. And so if there's something major that you can't or won't do, you need to be explicit about that. So your partner can decide whether they're going to stick around, whether they want a three-way in their life at some point in the future more than they want you. And if they want that three-way more than they want you, the relationship is doomed anyway. There's a difference between things you can't or won't do and things that just aren't your thing that maybe you could indulge your partner in that really aren't physically or emotionally taxing or traumatizing, like receiving the occasional dick pic from somebody you love, even though dick pics aren't your thing, and you can jolly them on a little bit about it. That's just being kind of a good, indulgent partner. And a little voice in your head at those moments when you are jollying your partner on about something that turns them on, even if it doesn't turn you on, so long as it's a thing that doesn't traumatize you, is that they're probably doing the same for you too. There's probably something that turns you on that they're aware of that does kind of nothing for them but doesn't offend them or traumatize them and they are jollying you along on that too. You're smiling at their dick pics and saying, oh, that's hot, even though you could take or leave dick pics. And they're smiling at your blank, your whatever, whatever it is, whatever fetish object, kink, scenario, move really gets you going that they could take or leave. They're maybe jollying you along on that issue too. So there's some reciprocity there usually in those Turns my partner on, doesn't really do much for me, but I put on a good face and we go there because I love my partner and I want them to feel fulfilled. And they're probably doing the same thing for me too. But I'm not going to tell him at those moments that I'm doing it that, okay, I'm just going through the motions for you because you like this. Uh, I'll put on a good face. You don't say that. And they don't say that to you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is consideration or reciprocity and GGG. Hi, Dan. It's a 25-year-old bi-flexible female in Seattle. I know the term is technically heteroflexible, but I think bi-flexible sounds funnier. Um, And I say that because I enjoy sleeping with a woman. However, I don't think I would actually have a relationship with one. Regardless, um, my boyfriend and I sleep with women together sometimes and have threesomes, and it's great. He's really open about that. However, he does consider um, me hooking up with a woman without his presence cheating, which is fine. Um, I just want to know what your opinion is because he's okay with me and that woman having sex, just us, as long as he's there to watch. Um, So I was just kind of wondering what your opinion was, if that's a little bit, not as understanding, I guess, because that he has to be there to watch rather than um, me just hooking up with a girl without him there. Because sometimes I would like to just have sex with a woman without him watching because that does add a little bit of pressure. Yes. Yes, it is arguable. And yes, 
you should or you may have to ultimately let it go. Go to your boyfriend. Say, I would like to sometimes be able to sleep with a woman alone just by myself because there is such a thing in science as the observer effect. And it works in sex too. And I'm just going to rattle off the wiki here. Observer effect refers to changes that the act of observation will make on a phenomenon being observed. So when you are having sex with a woman and your boyfriend is watching, his observing is going to change what's happening between you and that woman. You guys are going to be performing for him, unless you can really block him out and not everybody can. And of course, he's there as an audience, which makes it different for you. The experience of it is going to be different for you because part of you is worried about him and whether it's working for him and whether it's getting him off and whether he can see and if you're in the right position. And it pulls you away from the person you're with. And as you observe, there are some people you might want to get with, some women you might want to sleep with who will not want to sleep with you because the boyfriend is sitting on the other side of the room watching it happen. So you say all this to your boyfriend, but everyone, you're happy to do this. You maybe enjoy doing this too, having sex with a woman in front of him, it being more of a three-way, even if it's just kind of a voyeuristic three-way for his role. But every once in a while, you would like to get with a woman alone and then see what he says. And he may say that that's a deal breaker for him, that that's a price of admission that you're going to have to pay to bang the occasional woman is for him to be there because he's one of those guys or one of those girls. This isn't just a guy thing where they're okay with their partner messing around with someone else so long as there's something in it for them, so long as they're getting their rocks off too, so long as they're present. And that in their heads with their sort of mental, emotional, sexual calculus makes it not cheating, makes it not infidelity, makes it not my partner's fucking somebody else, makes it we are fucking around with this someone else, even if I never touch that someone else, even if my role is just to observe. So acquaint your partner with the observer effect, Google it and see what he says. Argue it, but you may have to let it go. Hello, Dan. I'm a heterosexual male. My best friend is a homosexual male. The other night, we both got really drunk, and he tried to initiate a sexual session with me by groping my genitals. Now, I'm no stranger to doing stupid or non-responsive things while drunk, and I'm okay with his actions, but... I get the feeling that he isn't, that he regrets doing that. But I need to convey to him that I'm okay with it and I'm ready to move on. You say you're okay with his actions. I'm not okay with his actions. And his actions are not okay. Now, some people are going to say that this was rape. There are some definitions of rape out there that have been popularized that include unwanted sexual touch. That's being sort of rounded up into rape and sexual assault. And this was indeed unwanted, unwelcome sexual touch, which it sounds like you deflected. And, you know, I do think that this was wrong and not okay. And under different circumstances with different players and different victims and assaulters, the experience of this objectively could be subjectively could be very, very different. The exact same actions, a little bit of alcohol and a crotch grab, if we were talking about 14-year-old girl on a soccer team being groped by the assistant soccer coach who's 28, the experience of that for that girl 
the exact same action basically, having the crotch groped, would be potentially much more traumatizing with a much longer lasting effect and emotion an impact on her emotion, sense of safety, sense of bodily integrity than the exact same actions have had on you. So I do think that although unwanted sexual touch is unwanted sexual touch is unwanted sexual touch, that we do have to sometimes look at things on a case-by-case basis. And in this case, I would say that this doesn't rise to the level of sexual assault. This rises to the level of not okay and stupid and alcohol and friends and bullshit that needs to be confronted and addressed. So I would go to your friend if I were you. Here you are. You're okay with his actions, you say. Your words, I'm quoting you. You are okay with his actions. You're not really okay with them. You don't want that to happen again. What you're okay with is continuing with this friendship despite these actions that you would prefer never to have happen again. And you go to him and you say that. Look, we're friends. You got drunk. I was drunk. The alcohol (laughs) eroded your judgment and impulse control. And in that moment, you reached for it. You went for it. And I'm not into it. And I'm your straight friend. And you got to leave my dick alone. And our friendship can't be some long campaign on your part to get in my pants because that's never going to happen. So this can't happen again if we're going to remain friends. And I want to remain friends. And I'm willing to chalk this up to booze and stupidity and poor judgment and shredded impulse control. And let's shake on it and we don't have to talk about it again, but it can't happen again. Just reach out to him and say that to him. He may be so embarrassed and ashamed that he can't face you. And that may be a good sign. You know, you can read into that embarrassment and shame on his part that this is not routine for him. That this is not something he's done over and over again. That this is something he did this once and he is so mortified and so shocked by his own actions that he doesn't have the words. He doesn't know how to articulate an apology or even broach the subject because he may fear that you are traumatized by his action to such an extent that you never want to see him again. And so perversely, it may be you, the victim in this instance, who has to reach out to your victimizer to repair the friendship that you say as the victim you value and would like to continue in and offer absolution to the bad guy in this incident. In this case, the curious case of the groped dick in the night. Hi, Dan. I'm a uh, 29-year-old uh, heterosexual guy. I uh, have a gay friend. Uh, we used to work together. We were pretty close. We kind of bonded over the fact that he was uh, a gay guy that encountered a straight guy that didn't seem to be uh, homophobic in any way and uh, seemed to accept him openly. And uh, we bonded. We have a pretty kind of I guess, uh, you know, off kilter sort of sense of humor in the sense that, you know, it's, it borders on the inappropriate all the time. But I think lately, uh, the jokes have kind of become a little bit more pointed to the degree that I don't, I don't know that he's necessarily joking anymore. And they start to feel a lot more like a, a come on. And, uh, they only make me uncomfortable in the, in the sense that they're so descriptive and sit like kind of aggressive in a way. And I'm not really sure how to talk to him about it because on the one end, like, I don't want him to feel punished for being attracted to someone. Uh, and at the same time, uh, it just feels uncomfortable in a way that I kind of struggle to articulate. But um, I just want to be, it's like being his friend. He's a great guy. He's a, he's a, he's been a good friend for all the years that I've known him now. 
And I just kind of want us to be able to be like we always were without it seeming like things have kind of taken this turn towards me being on the passive end of sort of like constant sexual aggressive innuendo. Wow, it's Shitty Gay Friend with Boundary Issues Week here on the Savage Lovecast. Use your words, straight guy. You go to him or just play this for him. Sit him down in front of a computer or put your earbuds in his head and play your question. It's also sensitively put. Everything that you said to me about your friendship and how much you value it in this context where you didn't expect necessarily that he would ever hear you articulating things in this way is a really, I think, bracing and hopefully clarifying for him summation of where you're at, value his friendship, always had an off-kilter sense of humor, always engaged in kind of blue banter, but lately it's taken this turn that makes you uncomfortable. And this is, you know, there are some straight guy, gay guy friendships out there where there is a lot of sexual joking and sometimes sexual, sexually aggressive joking from the gay guy targeting the straight guy as a sex object, but it's all in fun and everybody is into it. And it's not a problem if it's not a problem for anybody who's engaged in that kind of banter. I've seen these – I've had these kinds of relationships with straight guys where they would joke with me about women and I would joke – they would say very crude things in front of me about women. And I would turn to them and say very crude things to them about them. So they would see what it you know, might feel like to be on the receiving end of that kind of aggressive male attention. Not that it was always about you know some sort of feminist political agenda. Sometimes it was just banter. But some of it was pretty aggressive. Some of the things that I probably said to some of the straight guys that I've been friends with over the years are probably very similar to some of the things this guy is saying to you. But it wasn't a problem in our relationship because it wasn't a problem for them and they would turn around to do it to me and it was all in fun. This is not all in fun. If he's having fun, okay, but you're not having fun. You got to use your words and tell him that. Surely he values your friendship over all these years more than he values – the ability to make these jokes about your ass. And if this is, as with the previous caller, if this is perhaps some sort of long campaign to get into your pants, you need to be very explicit about how that is never going to happen and that is a place if he goes or wants to go is really going to fuck up your relationship and fuck up your friendship because you are not gay or bi and it is not ever going to happen. I don't think you need to address that specifically though. Just tell him using your words. This is how you head off the past. Any sort of long war to get in your pants. Tell him not okay to joke with me like that about me, about my ass. Makes me really uncomfortable. I don't joke with my female friends in that way about them and their bodies because I don't want to make them uncomfortable to be around me. And, you know, you're a dude. I'm a dude. You shouldn't joke about me and my body in that way either because it makes me uncomfortable. So knock it off. Let's joke about the shit we used to joke about. Hi, Dan. This is a 22-year-old gay guy in a large Midwestern city. Now, I guess for probably about two months now, I've been talking to this really great guy. We spend a fair amount of time together. Uh, he's just a couple years younger than I am. He gets along with my friends. I feel comfortable being myself around him. And if it's over, everything's great. And now, we've never done anything with our dicks out, I guess. I mean, we've made out in our underwear, and I just enjoyed getting to know him and not having the pressure of thinking about, oh, am I going to be hooking up tonight? Now, um, now it's not that I'm not interested in this guy. Um, I do find him attractive, and I know he finds me very attractive. Now, the other night, we were fooling around, and we kind of got to that breaking point, like, are we going to go to third base? Is the underwear going to come off? And he confessed to me that he was a virgin. 
And in a tactful way, I asked him why. I mean, being 20 years old, he is a little bit above average. He just told me that it just never worked out for him. And that's totally fine. And I talked to him, and he obviously has all the natural fears that any gay young gay guy does about bottoming for the first time. So I just talked to him, frankly, about things that worked for me. Um, I'm versed, but um, I can be dominant. And he's pretty submissive guy um, when it comes to that stuff. And I don't want to pressure him into having sex with me. So I guess moving forward, I just wondered if you have any advice for me, because I don't want to pressure him to have sex with me, being a virgin. I mean, it's his choice. At the same time, though, he is submissive when it comes to that. So he's not the type of person who would I, I think would really come on to me and be like, yes, I want this right now. You have to give it to me. So I guess moving forward, um, I'm just wondering if you had uh, any advice for me. Thanks. Well, it sounds like this young virgin gay dude lucked out when he found you. He's told you that he's a virgin. He's confided all of this in you because he feels so comfortable with you because you did what and you did what right. You didn't rush things. You were content to – make out to roll around in your underwear with this guy and continue to see him and not treat him because he didn't just yank off his underpants the first time you guys made out and rolled around and sit right down on your deck. You were content to continue to see him and what they communicated to him was you actually cared about him and you could take things slow and someone who's a virgin is going to be better off in bed with someone who cares about them and is willing to take things slow. So you are the right guy for him to lose his virginity to, which is why he told you about it. So what do you do now? Knowing that he's slightly submissive, knowing that he wants to bottom, I would suggest, first of all, you do a little reading. I wrote a column in 2012 addressed to a couple of high school students who were dating each other who wanted to – guys who wanted to – gay guys wanted to have anal sex for the first time and were very nervous about it. That column is called Ass Ed and it came out April 18th, 2012 and there's lots of great tips in there for – first-timers, including that the first time you guys explore anal together, that maybe you shouldn't be together, that he should have some toys, he should have a butt plug. I think it would be really a good idea for him to get a butt plug and put it in and masturbate alone somewhere a few times and experience what it feels like to be penetrated anally, to, to have something up his butt and to enjoy himself so that He associates anal penetration with pleasure as opposed to associating it, as so many people do, with fear, not just fear of pain, also fear of disappointing their partner. That in the moment, even if you guys say before you get started, if you need to stop, we can stop, he's going to feel under some pressure to perform for you, to to stick it out (laughs) while you stick it in, to come through. And he doesn't want to feel like a failure by bailing. And that pressure can – result in someone continuing with their first anal, their first whatever, despite pain that says stop because they don't want to disappoint their partner by saying we got to stop. So those first couple of times, if he's alone and it's just about him and his ass and a butt plug and his own right hand and his dick, if he needs to stop, it's not a problem. And then you guys get together and do some anal play where you're both using butt plugs and you're both just masturbating, but you're rimming each other. You're playing with fingers and toys and there's no expectation of moving on to porn star style anal banging, right? You're just going to bring the butts into play 
and get off and roll around. And then you progress to anal penetration. And really, I would advise you to go read Ass Ed 2012 column, Savage Love. Google Savage Love, Ass Ed 2012 pops right up where I detail how to make that first time happen. Now, the only thing I don't address is, well, what do you do if he's submissive? You can order someone who's submissive to tell you as the dominant in that interaction what it is they want you to do. And you can make their discomfort, you can make their shyness in unpacking that kind of part of the play. But what you don't want to do is just push ahead and do what you think he wants you to do because he's submissive and he told you he wants to do anal. You want, if you're going to be the dominant partner, to force out of him what it is he desires in that moment, to tell you what he wants from you. And then you do that and only that. What you don't want to do is hurt him. What you don't want to do is give him what you assume that he as the sub really wants in that moment but might not be what he really wants in that moment because not all people who are feeling submissive want the same thing, the same experience, the same style of penetration if penetration is involved, which it doesn't have to be and it shouldn't be really. You guys haven't even taken your underpants off yet. You haven't even had an orgasm together yet. Don't go from rolling around making out to butt fucking. Go from rolling around and making out to mutual masturbation. Go from rolling around and making out to mutual masturbation to frotage to oral sex to playing with butt toys together and having orgasms with butts engaged but without butts being fucked and then move on with water-based lubricant and condoms. Move on to actual anal intercourse. Good luck. Sounds like this boy found a good one in you. Hey, Dan. I am a 25-year-old queer woman who is married, and I've been married for about a year to a very wonderful man who has some extremely severe trust issues. Um, Things have been getting pretty brutal, and I feel like they're hitting ahead right now because last night I came home from work at 4 a.m. Uh, I work in a bar, so it's very difficult for me to get out earlier than that. And he began accusing me of sleeping with somebody, one of my coworkers, I don't know. Um, I used to be in a polyamorous relationship, and I feel like this gives him some insecurities, but I have not been polyamorous since we've been together. He doesn't want to go to counseling I am really not sure what to do. Um, Actually, he's blowing up my phone right now as we're, like, talking. Um, Yeah, it's been really tough. I just don't know how to handle his insecurity anymore. He's otherwise, like, a really fucking fantastic partner and, like, super supportive and super wonderful. In the same way that a specific localized cancer can grow and ultimately destroy an otherwise perfectly healthy, beautiful person, this kind of jealousy, this kind of insecurity, this kind of weaponized insecurity, this control in the disguise of insecurity, control issues in the disguise of insecurity, grows like a cancer and destroys an otherwise beautiful, wonderful relationship with an otherwise beautiful, wonderful person. In my experience, and this is advice I've given routinely for 25 years and anecdote data, but I've got tons of anecdote that backs me up on this, including from people who suffered from this kind of insecure, irrational jealousy, like your partner. 
that it was only getting dumped for it often enough that brought them to their senses, that they have to get dumped over and over and over again for this before they realize that they're the ones with the problem, that this is a problem, that this is what's going to destroy their relationships all their life. Not the partner cheating, but the partner leaving because of the baseless accusations there's only so much of that that a person will take, that a person will put up with, even from a wonderful and every other way person. So use your words, as we like to say around here. You go to your husband. How old are you? 25 and a husband? Mm, looking askance at that. But you go to your husband, your husband, and you say, I love you. You're wonderful. This I will not tolerate. This I will not indulge. When you have these freakouts about things that did not fucking happen, I'm going to turn on a heel and leave the room. You're going to trust me to do my job and to come home from this bar without having fucked anybody else. And if you can't trust me, you shouldn't have married me. And you might want to add that infidelity happens in the course of a marriage. 30, 40, 50 years, 50, 60 years potentially you two have signed up to be together if he's close to your own age. What are the odds? That you'll cheat on him at some point or that he'll cheat on you, which I think is likelier because it's been my experience that the people making these kinds of accusations are either already cheating or first to cheat in the relationship. What are the odds that one or the other of you are going to cheat? So what if you had fucked somebody else? Is that the end of the marriage? Because if it is, get divorced now because he's going to cheat on you at some point, ding, 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 probably likelier, or you're going to cheat on him at some point and the marriage is going to be over. So why not have it be over now and spare yourselves the grief and the explosive fucking emotional bullshit of that moment, of that revelation, of the inf- the routine, ought to be expected, ought to be discussed in advance, infidelity almost inevitably happening. It touches almost every long-term committed relationship. Why not end it now? If merely a suspicion of perhaps you kissing on another person or hooking up with another person without any evidence, without any anything to indicate that that happened is enough to send him off into these irrational rages. Imagine the shitstorm if this thing that happens in most multi-decade marriage finally fucking happens. You want to be there when that happens? Caller, you want to be around for that? You've seen what he's like when it's nothing. Imagine what it'll be like if it is something. I wouldn't want to stick around for that shit show myself. I would want, even if I wanted monogamy, but this goes out to all the monogamous callers out there, all the people who are in monogamous relationships or want to be in monogamous relationships. Some of you, though, that's what you think you want right now. It won't be what you want ultimately because I thought that's what I wanted once upon a time and realized it was right for me. Wanting monogamy is the default setting and a lot of us realize that that's not for us. We opt out. But to all of you out there who do want monogamy and it's what's going to work for you, I would encourage you to seek someone as your life partner and encourage you to be the kind of person who can say, all right, this thing that we don't want to have happen, this thing that we're going to promise and strive to avoid ever happening in our relationship, if it does happen. Here's how we're going to handle it. We're going to judge it on its specific merits or demerits. Fuck my sister on my wedding night. Probably can't get past that. A hand job from a masseuse 30 years into our relationship. Yeah, that could probably be forgiven and gotten past. 
So caller, you want to be with somebody where forgiveness and getting past it is on the table. And right now this guy's telling you not on the table, forgiveness, rationality about this thing, not possible. And even if you want monogamy, you need to be with somebody who's going to be rational about desiring others and rational even about an infidelity because I'm here from the future to tell you young marrieds, adultery, infidelity, hand job from a masseuse going to touch just about every multi-decade long-term married couple on the planet. And it's not always the dude who cheats long way of saying caller. I think you should dump the motherfucker already. He needs to get dumped perhaps even divorced once or twice before he gets past this, before he realizes that he is the one with the problem, not his first three ex-wives and his 12 ex-girlfriends, that he is the common denominator here. Good luck. Hey, Dan, this is a 30-year-old cisgendered straight male. Question about uh, hooking up with uh, someone in the trans community through a sort of hookup app was acquainted with a trans male looking for friends with benefit, and I've been late in a while, so I thought, yeah, this might work. Um, he identifies as male, still has the parts he was born with. So I said, hey, you know, I, I have no problem with you identifying as male, but if we hook up, I'm going to want to fuck you like you're female. And he said, that's all good. You know, I, I just emphasize that, you know, this is going to be a, a straight sex encounter, uh, despite you uh, identifying as male. And uh, everything was kosher there. Um, I'm just wondering anything else I should do beforehand. I, I don't know if it'll actually happen or not. But I figure it's a good um, learning opportunity for myself and anyone listening uh, did I do everything right? Uh, anything else I should do or shouldn't do? And I, I, it should be noted, uh, this uh, guy is uh, about 19, and like I said, I'm in my early 30s. You know, I'm not looking to start any therapy sessions for this guy, but I don't know. Maybe it'll all work out. There's just two things you have to do. Use birth control because trans men can indeed get pregnant even if they're on testosterone. And honor the campsite rule, which means leave him in better shape than you found him. I don't know where this guy is at emotionally. He's 19 years old. You're in your early 30s. I don't think that necessarily means this is going to be unhealthy or, or exploitative. I had sex when I was in my late teens with guys who were in their late 20s and 30s who were wonderful to me and helped me learn and grow as a gay dude and just as a human being, right? And you may be able to play that role. And it sounds like you – just by dint of your call and your sensitive questions seem like you would be capable of being that kind of older partner in this young man's life. That said, the bar is set a little bit higher in your interactions with this guy because how long has he been in transition? How far into his transition is he? How secure is he in his gender identity? Because I think you need to Nail that down before you nail him down. I think you really need to get to know him a little better before you get naked with him. And this is the one part of your call where you went offline a little bit, when you went off the rails a little bit, before you fuck him like he's a woman because he's not a woman. And would it induce potentially dysphoria for him if after struggling to achieve his true gender identity, he's in bed with someone who's treating him like the woman he never was, right? 
And you need to run that to ground. If you're there to enjoy his pussy, if you're there to enjoy the genitals that he was born with and you read them as female genitalia and he regards them as his male genitalia, that conflict for him between your perception of his body and his perception of his body may be unpleasant in the moment. So hang out with him a little bit before you get naked together. Talk about these issues with him before you get naked together. So that if it is indeed traumatizing for him, if the attitude or the desire that you're approaching sex with him differs from the attitudes and desires that he's approaching sex with you with is so different, you need to figure that out before you're naked in bed together, before you're inside him. And if you guys are really on different pages, you should probably never be inside him. You should wish him well and tell him he's awesome, but tell him – if he hasn't already articulated for himself or come to this realization himself that you guys aren't a match for this reason. And the advice I gave earlier in the show to the gay dude who's thinking about getting with the submissive gay virgin applies in this case too. You don't have to jump right into vaginal intercourse the first time you guys roll around. If you meet with him and you talk with him and you guys are both comfortable on the same page and you want to get together, the first few times you get together, it can be mutual masturbation. It can be rolling around. It can be frotage. It can be exploring each other's bodies without jumping right into vaginal intercourse, which is fraught with symbolism and potentially dysphoria-inducing for this trans guy. So you can leave that off the menu the first few times. You guys get off together. And that first few times you guys get off together, you guys will be building a sexual rapport. You guys will be establishing some sexual trust. He will feel safer with you if in those moments you aren't rushing to do something he's not ready to do yet or clearly only there for his vag. But if you're there for the rest of him too, then maybe it will be less potentially dysphoria-inducing when the time comes for you to jump into his vag. Because if he's fucking you as a man with a pussy, a la Buck Angel, and you're fucking him as still a girl in your eyes, he doesn't want to look into your eyes and see someone seeing a girl. So get on the same page about all those issues. And then maybe you should go for it. Maybe you are what he needs. But some trans guys, the last thing they need is a straight guy in bed with them who's fucking the girl that they aren't. As much as I'm loath to admit it, I am not the only advice columnist in the world. There are others out there. And every once in a while, we like to invite one of those others out there to come on the show for a segment we call Second Opinion, where I duke it out with one of my rival advice racket competitors, Mallory Ortberg. She's a writer, editor. She's one of the co-founders of The Toast, and she's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Texts from Jane Eyre and Other Conversations with Your Favorite Literary Characters. But the reason she's here today... Mallory is the new Dear Prudence. She took over Slate's long-running advice column from Emily Yofi late last year. Mallory, how, this is the question everyone asks me about writing an advice column. How did you get the gig? Hi, Dan. Uh, I got the gig because they offered it to me. <laughs> Weird. That's how I got the gig. Crazy. Yeah, I feel like calling myself a rival after I've been an advice columnist for exactly a month and a half feels totally appropriate. Super <laughs> not nervous about it. Totally normal. Yeah, I've been at it 25 years. Is there any – you want any pointers? Is there anything you want to ask me while you have me on the phone? I mean, if you would just, like, help me – honestly, if you would just do some of it for me, I would really appreciate that. 
There are no ghostwriters in this gig. You have to do it yourself. So here's another question I get all the time that I'm going to put to you. What qualifications do you have? And that's usually the tone in which I get it. What qualifications do you have? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm some guy. And I think that's kind of all the qualifications anybody has to be an advice columnist, especially a professional advice columnist. Is It's sort of a mix of you seem like you haven't blown up your life yet. Um, you seem vaguely interesting to talk to. And um, that's that's sort of the end of the list of qualifications. It's sort of just what your editors think is a good mix of interesting and empathetic and funny. Um, but beyond that, there's no reason. There's no reason anyone should listen to me if they don't want to. Can I give you a gift? This is what I always tell people when I get that question that time. Yeah. And I'm just going to yeah. gift this to you and you can use it yourself. If you look up advice in the dictionary, it says opinion about what could or should be done. So the only qualification you need to give advice is somebody who asked you for your fucking opinion, period. That sounds good to me. And you get questions. You get letters at Dear Prudence. I do. And already after a month and a half, you're getting questions for you, not sort of late stage Emily Yofi questions. You're getting Mallory Ortberg questions. I am. I am. I'm getting a lot of questions about stealing dogs, which I did not realize was such an issue <laughs> in this day and age. Has it come up for you? Uh, yeah, I, but I usually don't answer those questions because I think dogs are there to be stolen. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, no, I am starting. You know, there's definitely still a lot of people writing in with your sort of garden variety advice columnist questions, which are like, my brother-in-law is rude. How do I talk to my boss, et cetera, et cetera. All of which are perfectly valid problems, but I'm definitely getting a handful more questions from people with, you know, more queer poly cat dating issues. Not dating cats, like sharing custody of cats. No one has yet written to me about what it's like to date a cat, although I welcome such questions. How old are you? I'm 29 years old. Okay, that's so, too young. Frankly, that's too, too young, young to be giving my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Too, too young to be writing an advice column. You have to be kind of a wizened old bitch like me to write an advice column. How old were you when you started Dan Savage's column? Uh, Wait, I said Dan Savage's column. Like that's your, your um, TV playhouse. How old were you when you started? 26. And I was too young. older than you were. It's just like losing your virginity, you know? We were talking earlier before the show, me and the text of Aunt Ruth and Nancy, we were, mentioning, we were talking about a call we got about virginity, and I was like, I lost mine when I was 15. And then I felt like that was perfectly, the perfect time, I was totally ready, and now I'm like, I was too young. And I feel the same way about my advice mm -hmm. call. At 26, I felt totally ready to tell everybody else what to do. But now I know I was too young. Yeah, I mean, all I can do is age, which I promise I'll do. <laughs> well, we're going to age you with a couple of questions here today. Please do. And we're going to field them together, and we don't have to agree, because that's another thing about the advice column racket. It's not binding arbitration. It's one person's opinion. And in lively uh, comment threads on my column, on your column, you'll find differing opinions, and we welcome those. We're not threatened by them. Or I'm not. Are you? No. No, sometimes I look at the comment threads on my column and think, that's better advice <laughs> than the advice I oh, gave. I mean, there's no one person who has such a rich life experience that they can give the best opinion about anything. Sometimes people will write in and they'll have really wonderful like legal or medical expertise or they'll have been through that exact situation. And it, it would be weird, I think, if I felt threatened by the fact that someone else was giving really good advice. It would be weird for me to say, don't tell anyone that you know the situation better than I do. I have to be all things to all people. Well, you and I are going to give advice right now together, and we will let the listeners decide whose advice was better, mine or yours. Hi, Dan. My husband and I hired and paid our good friend's 60-ish single mom to dog and house sit for us. She kept us in the loop on a daily basis with texts and, phone and photos throughout our trips. 
We liked her so much, we hired her a second time for a longer vacation. It was late at night when we got home, and she was already gone. Our home was intact, clean, and the dog was happy to see us. We have an arsenal of sex toys in our nightstand drawer. Some months ago, we bought a butt plug and put it into the drawer, still wrapped in the box, in hopes that some frisky night we'd put it to good use. Imagine our horror, then, when we turned on the light in our bedroom to see our unused-by-us butt plug box open with the toy in full display on our nightstand. She obviously took the phrase, make yourself at home, quite literally. Obviously, we got rid of every single sex toy in our home because I'm not interested in sharing. Typically, I send a thank you text to our sitter and promise to keep her in mind for our next trip. But this time, I remained silent. She must have suspected something was off because a few days later, she inquired whether we would need her for our upcoming trip in January. I sent her a very direct no. The problem I'm having is this. I don't want to ever talk to or see her again. What good would it do to ask her why she was rifling through our very personal belongings? I really don't want to know the details of her sex adventures in my bed, and I'm thrilled that dogs can't talk. Should I remain silent? When our friend wonders why we aren't hiring her mom ever again, what should I say? I don't want our friend to blame herself for her mother's stupidity, and I certainly don't want to come between their relationship. Okay, Mallory, this is how it works with Second Opinion. You go first. What do you think the caller should do? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like the time for coyness is past when someone has left you direct evidence that they have used or at the very least looked at your butt plug. <laughs> it, it would be a weird choice to not say anything. Do you know what I mean? Like, you guys have already gotten real intimate, so I, I think there's no reason to sort of keep it to yourself. And I think it's you'd be well within your rights to say, hey, we found it unpleasant that you opened our butt plug. That's an inappropriate thing to do. We don't want you to house it for us anymore. I don't think you even need to ask for an explanation. There's not a good one she could give you. You can just say, you already know this, but um, it bears repeating. You shouldn't open other people's butt plugs. It sort of is the one thing we want our house sitters not to do. It's a, so sac- it's a sacred won't place, be using you. the butt plug in the drawer. It is. I mean, you know, the, there's a follow-up lesson, obviously, is if you're going out of town, I guess you have to buy a safe now for your sex toys. But that feels that feels so churlish and untrustworthy. Or if you're so precious that the, the thought that someone else may have looked at or touched, much less used, one of your sex toys is going to prompt you to throw them all away, you might want to get a <laughs> locking box you put under your bed instead of leaving them in your nightstand. I mean, that, I guess that's my question is, did she use a butt plug and want them to know she did? Or did she on some level judge them for having a butt plug and just opened it and put it on the nightstand as a way of sort of commenting, I saw your butt plug. <laughs> you are the kind of people who own butt plugs and I want you to know that I know. So here's your butt plug. Yeah, like either she's someone with a really cavalier sense of what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. Or she's someone who's kind of into intense emotional psychosexual mind games. Or it wasn't her. Or it was something. What do you think? The dog? Not the dogs. But, you know, sometimes when you house it, your friends come by. And some she could have had a friend who the last day went up and took a look in the room and found the butt plug and thought it would be hilarious to leave it out. Cause, and we don't know. Like, there could be an explanation. But because the caller didn't mm. say to her what you suggested that she say, and I completely agree with everything you said, we don't know what actually may have happened. And this is the only thing I would add to, to what you said. I completely agree with all of your advice. So we're on the same page is that I would challenge the caller about 
her own conception of herself as sort of sex positive and liberated or whatever, the kind of person who has an arsenal of sex toys in her nightstand should also be the kind of person who would be uninhibited or not inhibited about saying to someone, were you fishing around in our nightstand and taking our sex toys out and using them? We found a butt plug sitting out. Why wouldn't you just say that to her rather than just go silent and then never know? Because you might have gotten an answer or a response. At the very least, you would know have a better idea of what actually happened and whether or not you needed to throw away or boil the rest of your sex toys. Yeah. She definitely went to DEFCON 5 immediately. And there could be a, there could be a, a reason. Does that make me sound cool and older? Cause I know DEFCON is from the eighties and I want to <laughs> sound like I'm cool and older in front of you. I saw war games with Matthew Broderick in my formative years. So that totally worked for me. I, I listened to the call and I thought, okay, so you, the question I would ask the caller is, was the house sitter staying in your bed? Like, do you have a guest bedroom or do you just have one bedroom and your house sitter stays in your bed? Because if so, if I was sitting in your bed and I was doing the New York Times crossword puzzle and my the ink ran out of my pen, I might just like yank open the bedside drawer thinking that's where pens go. Oh, no. See, I feel like if you're staying at someone's house, it's understood that the nightstand is where you keep bed things and not things that you should look at. Uh, so we keep those in the dungeon. But not everybody has that kind of space. Some of us <laughs> live in crowded cities. Hi, Dan and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. My brother is a child rapist. Uh, He's never done any time for that particular crime. And to make a long story short, he'll be home for the holidays. I'm not too concerned about myself. I'm actually concerned about my mother's tenants. My mother has some people living in her house. They've got a kindergarten aged son and my brother will be staying at the house with them. My mom is kind of okay with what's going on or I should say what's happened. It's sort of like an open family secret. However, uh, the tenants do not know about it. I feel like I have a moral obligation to let them know in part because they are friends, but I think that they should just know. Should I insist that my mother do so? What do you think? All right, I'm relieved that we're taking this call on a second opinion segment because it means I don't have to go first. Mallory? Mm. Wow, yeah, this is, thank you so much for, for including me on this sad and horrifying phone call. As best as I can understand, it sounds like he is confident that his brother has committed child rape for whatever reason has never been either charged or has never served time. So he's not on any kind of offender registry list. He's not on probation. He's not, there's been no legal repercussions. He got away with it. And he's coming to visit the family for Christmas. And it sounds like I believe his mother is a landlord. Or has a tenant is renting a room or has a, has a tenant guest department yeah. in the house. And it's, there's not a, a, there's not a firewall between mom's space where the brother's going to be and the space where this child is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that this caller is absolutely right to feel like they have a moral obligation to say something. I, 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 I would certainly wonder, you know, if the statute of limitations are not up on whatever crime his brother has committed, I, I would sure feel like it was incumbent upon me to inform the police um, if I knew that there was a, a child rapist just just sort of 
moving through through life without any kind of legal consequence. I think, you know, in addition to warning the tenant um, and, and anybody else who might be in the building, I would, I would call the, I have to say, I think I would call the police unless I knew for a fact that they had already been contacted and, and nothing had been done. I completely agree with you. And we also have to, I think. I'm sorry we're not fighting more, Dan. Yeah, I know. This is terrible. It was, it's actually kind of par for the course with uh, whoever happens to be Dear Prudence because Emily Ophi came on a couple of times and we got along like a house on fire. And I, I try to like bait other advice columnists into this being very confrontational, but but we are reasonable people. That's how we get these gigs. And then we are reasonable together. Um, the only thing we have to cop to here and own up to is Christmas has come and gone. We're talking after Christmas. So we weren't able to help this caller with this predicament before it all went down. So we're hoping that he went to mom and said, you tell the tenant or I'm telling the tenant, but the tenant must be told. And I'm going to go to the tenant after you tell me you told the tenant to make sure that you actually did. Because the, the person who we should be most concerned about in this whole scenario is that child. In that right, house. right. Well, and that's the thing that was sort of most horrifying to me about the call was that caller mentioned that this is sort of an open secret in their family, which means there are multiple people who are aware that this man has has assaulted a child and have decided that the best course of action is is to do nothing. And it needs to be said, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, that not everyone who's assaulted a child is going to assault every child that crosses their paths. But there needs to be honesty so that there is accountability and that there is control that if your brother got away with it or there was some reason he couldn't be charged or he was charged and got a very light sentence and got off in a way he shouldn't have gotten off. uh, Mm -hmm. Everybody needs to be aware and honest about and open about the fact that your brother has this problem so that people are running offense for the children in your family or the children he might encounter. And your brother, if right. he has some moral sense and, you know, it's too easy to say anybody who would touch a child has no moral sense. People do insanely contradictory things. People do things that they know to be immoral and that they hate themselves for having done. But if your brother has any moral sense, your brother will want this to be not an open secret but an open truth, a known thing. So that other people are right. there providing him with the kind of backup, assistance, accountability that will help him not do this ever again. Because if he does do this again, it's not just a child's life that he could wind up destroying, but his own life. So he should want you all to be open about this and honest about this so that you can be not just protecting children from him, but him from himself. Yeah, and there's certainly nothing about this call that suggests to me the caller's brother is consumed with remorse and committed to not harming children. There's nothing in there that suggests, you know, my brother's really nervous. He found out there was going to be a child. You know, there's no reason for me to think this guy is deeply concerned um, with, with the safety of children. So I feel like sometimes there can be a sort of moral inertia when everyone's keeping this secret and it sort of feels like, well, Things seem to be normal. No one else is making a big deal about this. I mm-hmm. guess I'll just let it lie as everyone else does. And it can sort of be hard to get the ball rolling in the sense of, I guess I have to be the person to cause trouble. Um, and I think that this is a situation where even if Christmas has come and gone, you know, this Christmas will come again next year. And it sounds like if no one else in the family is, is interested in taking action, he's going to have to really think about how will I deal with interacting with my brother in the future? Do I feel comfortable 
going along with everyone else and saying, sure, if he wants to come where there's kids, I'm not going to talk about it. And, and we're just going to let everything slide. I think he has to really decide what's my responsibility, what's my obligation. Because I don't think other people in his family are, are meeting that obligation. Mallory Ortberg, she's a writer, editor, co-founder of The Toast, New York Times bestselling author, and the new Dear Prudence at Slate. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone and doing a second opinion with us. It was really fun. You're really terrific at this, even at your young, young, young age. And I look forward to reading your comments. Thanks, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the genre. I I'm already promise a fan of yours. I will get older and die. <laughs> not me. Not me. Like, I have a different my plan. pledge to you. I will age and grow decrepit and et cetera, et cetera. And then death will come for me. So good news. <laughs> thanks Anyways, so much. Thanks for having me. Bye. Hi, Dan. My name is Olivia, and I'm a 22-year-old single, or, yeah, single female, (laughs) and um, I've been in a friends with benefits relationship with this guy for, like, well, it was for, like, two months, and then one night we were having sex, and he couldn't say hard, and I asked him what was wrong, and he just goes, I'm just bored, and I was like, whoa, that, ouch, that hurt pretty badly. Um, and it was because I didn't feel comfortable in that moment fucking him on the new bench press that he put in his room. And um, <clears throat> so I didn't want to do that. And then he got bored and told me he was bored. And then uh, after that, he decided that he just wanted to be my friend and take the benefits out of the friends with benefits relationship label status thing. So I was like, okay, yeah, well, I understand. Sure, whatever. And he had said that, you know, he had feelings for me. And so he thought that because, you know, we didn't click like having sex, he just like wanted to stop. And and I was like, I don't agree, but whatever. So last night was the first time we had hung out just being friends. And it was really great. And, you know, we just kind of talked for two hours and caught up. And it didn't seem to be, you know, a problem that we were just hanging out as friends. There was always plenty of space between us on the couch or whatever. And then um, we get up to go and I fall into the door. And then he goes, do you want to make out a little bit? And I was like, well, uh, and I hesitated, of course. And he's like, it's okay if you don't want to, you know. I said, well, I do want to. And then he just started kissing me. And and now I don't know what this means. I don't know if he's trying to manipulate me. I don't know if, like, in those two hours of us hanging out as friends, he, like, came around and now he all of a sudden, you know, realizes that he has feelings for me and I have feelings for him, but I keep them hidden because that's what the world wants me to do. Um, So I just don't know what the next step is. I don't know if I should give him a big fuck you or, like, is it worth sitting down and talking to him about it? Or should I just kind of ignore it and just see what he does next? Have there been any other further developments you need to bring us up to speed on before we start? Yeah, actually, he made a complete 180 how on do, me. How do you mean? He like wants to fuck you again. Um, you guys are benefiting. Right. Yeah. Benefiting the shit out of each other again is what you're doing. Yeah, we're benefiting the shit out of each other. And so, yeah, uh, so after the night that he like kissed me and confused me. We hung out the next day or like, the next couple of days because he couldn't go home for Christmas. And he's like, I'm going to be alone on Christmas. He's like, you want to hang out? And I was like, yeah, me too. Okay. And then we spent a really fun day together, hanging out very like platonically, you know, and, and I had asked him why he kissed me. And he, he was like, oh, it was just like in the moment kind of a thing. Like, sorry, I'm being confusing, blah, blah, blah. 
And then he comes over later that same night and um, we're watching TV, hanging out. And then he just, kind of, we have like three feet of space between us on the couch. And he just kind of rolls over and hugs me. And then I ask him a bunch of questions. You used your words. You used your words. Yeah, I I did. And I said, whoa, 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 hold your horses. What are your boundaries? What are you doing? Yeah. And, and then I told him, I said, you know, he said, well, what are you thinking? I said, well, I mean, I guess like I'm happy, but I'm also really scared to have sex with you again because the last time we had sex, you like couldn't stay hard. And then you told me that you were bored. And so now I think that I can do nothing but disappoint you. And then he showered me with apologies and, and, and in so many words told me that he missed me and made a mistake. And, uh, okay. Yeah. So here's my first follow-up question for you. Why wouldn't you fuck him on the bench press? Um, because in that moment I was feeling really self-conscious mm-hmm. and like, cause we were a very much like a friends with benefits kind of a thing. Like I felt, and so uh, wait, wait, like wait, wait, totally, so, like, comfortable. so wait, a friends with benefit things is a mattress only proposition. Sex can only happen in a bed with benefits situations. No, I just, I feel like as opposed to a relationship, like you're much more like comfortable and like open and trusting of somebody who you're in a relationship with versus the friends with benefits. Where does the trust come into play when you're taking the sex you might have in a bed and just moving it onto a bench press? I I was just feeling very like self-aware and I was like, what if he like, what if I have a bunch of like pimples on my ass or like, what Uh if like, I don't know my, like he sees all the, it was like the lights were on. I was just feeling very like, just not like, hot and i'm also just really like self-conscious so immediately when he when he posed that i was like huh you can't pull that off that's not your kind of a thing so you just weren't you know in that moment and that makes perfect sense to me you just feel a little insecure you didn't want to be in direct light on the bench press in the other room or whatever and so you weren't into it in that moment i'm curious though second follow-up question had he made other suggestions for sh- mixing it up in the past like different places different activities that you shot down for similar or different reasons he... No, never. So this yeah, is the first um, time he said, let's mix it up. Let's do it in this different place. Right. And then when you shot that down, he went soft and said, I'm bored. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, what's wrong? He goes, I'm just bored. And I was like, ouch, ouch. That really hurts. And uh, yeah. And then I just kind of left. And then a couple weeks later, that's when he was like, I think we should take the benefits out of out of our friends with benefits thing. I think we should just be friends. Right. And I was like, okay. And yeah. then... Uh, I, I wonder if he's not the dumb straight guy who's not very good at articulating his feelings. Because I'm wondering <laughs> if what I'm bored really meant was I'm hurt or I feel judged or sex shamed. He's a sensitive guy. He's really, he has a really tough exterior. But I mean, yeah. He and I, we're really good at commiserating. We have, like, a lot of the same, like, issues with, you know, depression and anxiety. And so, like, we, like, connect a lot on, like, that kind of a level. And, and I know that, you know, he he uh, suffers with self-image issues because of, you know, a bad ex and, like, me too. And so we, we have a lot of, like, similar things. And so, yeah, I mean, that could be it, that he was just, like... Yeah, maybe. I I think he handled it badly in the moment because, you know, when somebody says, I I would like to do X sexually and the other person is like not comfortable with it or doesn't want to and the other – then that person who made the suggestion is like, all right, I'm taking my, you know, now soft bat and balls and going home 
and I'm uh-huh. bored. And there's a, there can be a punitiveness to that that is, you know, in the moment can feel very manipulative that, you know, yeah. I'm being punished because I didn't want to do whatever he wanted to do or whatever she wanted to do. And so now I'm being denied or thrown out or broken up with, which puts a lot of pressure mm-hmm. on you to comply with not just uh-huh. that sexual demand, but all future sexual demands. Right. And so that can be really kind of a, a shitty move on, on his part. But yeah. my discomfort with that move is usually tied to the not extremity, but the, you know, off the wallness of what's being asked for. If some guy's like, I want to fuck you in the ass to his girlfriend, she's like, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not ready for that. Or I'm anal is not something I ever want to do. And he's like, well, then it's over. That's awful. Cause he's basically saying you put, let me fuck your ass or, or we're right. done, which can then end up in anal sex. That's not joyfully consented to. Right. Sure, yeah. And that's terrible. Mm-hmm. But in your situation, I was like, huh? Cause all he was asking was to take the sex you were having and put it on a different platform. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, potentially, that's why I wanted to get you on the phone. If you'd shot down other mild suggestions about mixing it up in the past, and maybe he was kind of legitimately bored or legitimately fearful for the future of your relationship if it was always going to be in the same place, in the same position, at the same time, right. with all the lights off. Well, maybe he was not just – not bored right now but anticipating the boredom to come if you were that sexually non-adventurous or shut down. All that right. said – Here's how I think you could have handled it and maybe should have handled it. The both of you together. I'm not putting this on you. How you uh-huh. could have, should have handled it. The sex we're having I'd like to do over here. Well, I don't want to do it over there on the bench press because I'm feeling self-conscious because I don't want to be seen in direct light because X, Y, or Z. Then you can game out, well, can the lights be turned off? Can we throw – the bandana over the lampshade and make the room darker where we can still see each yeah. other, see what we're doing, but I won't be so self-conscious about, you know, being in the dining room with all the fucking lights on where the bench press is. Right. And there could have been a way where you two cooperating both could have gotten what you wanted, which was the coziness and, you know, non-direct lighting of the bedroom that you wanted. And the, you know, so you wouldn't feel so self-conscious and he could have gotten these slightly like, change of venue sexual adventure that he wanted or to christen his new bench press because he's one of those straight guys who's kind of turned on by gym equipment and they are out there. (laughs) Right. So you guys need to, you need to communicate better. Like what did you say when he said, I want to do it on a bench press? What what was your response besides no? I said, I said, not tonight is what I said. I said, sorry, not tonight. I just, you know, whatever. And then I just kind of, Okay, and you, know trying, he, and, then, and you know what he heard in Not Tonight? He heard Not Ever. Yeah. And that made his dick go from, you know, panic to how boring this is going to be in a year from now, if this is the only way we can ever do it. And that was that was bullshit on his part, right? He shouldn't have made that leap. He should have, draw, yeah. he should have in the moment attempted to draw you out about, can we never do it in a different place? Are you only ever comfortable in this one place? And then well, you guys could have had a more fruitful conversation than I'm bored and it's over – Right. Uh, in the in the past, we've had, like, a lot of really open discussions about, like, what we like in the bedroom and, like, what works for us and what doesn't and what we're into and all this stuff. And, and you know, he was telling me that, like, he's into, like, rougher sex and he likes to do this and he likes to do that. And I'm like, yeah, me too. Like, right on, all this stuff. But he he never um, – I, I try my best to initiate that kind of a thing, but he doesn't really go for it. And so then, like, the – I knew that he was into rougher stuff and then out of nowhere he just like offered the bench press thing which like wouldn't necessarily be like a rough sex experience but I just kind of was like 
whoa, okay, like now that's happening. Uh, like I was kind of like, wait, wait, that see that that to me on your part seems a little like sex negative or or, or not quite rational. I'm, it's not a huge deal. So I'm not calling you like an irrational nut yeah. or anything, but right. Right. like sex flat on your back on a bed and sex flat on your back on a bench press. There's not a lot of appreciable difference there, except for perhaps. Right. Angle. And I guess in the moment I didn't think about that because now I'm like, well, cause I've talked to, I've talked to my friends about it and they're like, what's the problem? Like you, he would sit on the bench press and you just sit on his dick. And then that's what would happen. I'm like, well, yeah, I guess you're right. I don't know. I guess I was like, I don't know. I guess I was threatened by heavy equipment and like not knowing how <laughs> he didn't want to fuck you with the bench like, press. Ah! He wanted to fuck you on the bench press. It's a totally different thing. I know, but in the moment it was scary and I got scared and I was thinking. Okay. About That's important. That's important. <laughs> what you just said there is important in the moment I got scared. So what that tells us about you and the way you function sexually, and he needs to be cognizant of and all future sex partners should be informed of is that suggestions around activities, places, things can't happen in the moment. Like if there's something you want to try. We should talk about it before yeah. we start having sex, not while we're having sex because you know, for some people that works, you can say, oh, we're fucking on the bed. Let's go fuck on the dining room table on the, in the car, on the bench press. And the other person will be like, yeah. But for me, in the moment, I will panic. If there's like this suggested change of venue, I will panic. So yeah. if there's somewhere you want to do yeah. it that's interesting, talk to me before we're fucking, not as we're fucking. Yeah. And yeah. then you might be more open to it. You two need to communicate Yeah, totally. Better. And it's only been a couple months, yeah, right, of this friends with benefits relationship? Yep. I call him my half-boyfriend. Call it a relationship. You guys are in a relationship because a friends with benefit thing is a relationship and something in between boyfriend and friends with benefits is a relationship and boyfriend is a relationship. So why not just call it a fucking relationship? Because it's all encompassing and it covers all those bases. Got it. Yeah. That said, you guys need to communicate better. You need to be clear about when and how proposals for mixing it up should be presented to you when you're going to be most receptive to those proposals, which is not when his dick is in you or near you and hard. Yeah. And you need to, and he needs to get better about saying what he really means. Because I think when he said, I'm bored, he meant I'm hurt. And he, he said it in such a way so as to hurt you, which is not okay. He needs to be able to talk about his feelings without weaponizing them. Yeah. We're both broken toys. And, and so it's kind of hard to make. I feel your pain. Like that when, we, when we both feel it's hard when it's hard getting us to both feel comfortable at the same time. You know, like usually like one of us is feeling better than the other at like wanting to do something, but the other one's not really into it. I don't know. It's like takes a lot for us to both be like right on the same page. And in those circumstances, sometimes you just have to throw yourself into it. And yeah. you know, there are times when you start, you know, you don't really want to have sex that badly or in that way, but your partner really does. And I'm not talking about traumatizing shit. I'm not talking about shit that triggers folks, but you know, your partner really wants to do X or your partner really wants to do what you guys usually do right now. And you're sort of like, Bleh. and then you get going and you suddenly are into it and loving it. And you yeah. know, I'd say in my long-term relationship, half the sex we have probably falls under that umbrella where either Terry was indulging me and then got into it or I was indulging him and then I got into it. And if we took all that sex out of our relationship, because we just defaulted to, if you're not as into it right now at this moment as I am, it's not going to happen. We wouldn't be as I think connected as we are to this day sexually and emotionally. So I'm glad that the both of us are sort of of the same temperament there. 
which is, you know, yeah. if you're horny and I'm not feeling it, I may, you know, indulge you and then get horny myself. And that's been, you know, a lot of the great fucking sex we've had over the years. So that, I, that's my gift to you in this holiday season, that bit of advice, on top of all the other advice I've already given you. That's, that's really great. And I, I appreciate you calling. And I'm, I'm, I'm personally excited to see where this goes. I am too. And I want to call back from you in a couple of weeks telling me you turn the lights off or you turn the lights low and you put that boy on the bench press and you fucked him. All right. Maybe don't do that tonight. Do it. Okay. Hey, Dan. I know uh, I'm not a queer kid. Uh, I'm a 20-something heterosexual female uh, calling from Seattle. But probably by the time that you hear this call, um, I'll be in the underbelly of... um, right-wing Republican land and uh, where all of my family lives, my very Christian family, Mormon, in fact. And anyway, um, I'm having to go back to see them for the holidays and I'm having a really hard time. Um, and I, w- I guess I was just wondering how you handled it. Handle it. Um, when you see your, I don't know, your father that you talked about that you didn't agree with, right? think my family are fundamentally good people, but we, I just live my life and that's an offense to them. You know, I just had surgery for instance, and I uh, went to go get my green card and I happened to accidentally mention it to my brother and I got uh, an, an email that just went on this long diatribe about how I'm just trying to edge for drugs um, or, you know, like, uh, they want to do a big family get together. We have 18 grandkids, and my 18 nieces and nephews of mine. And anyway, and and they wanted to go to Chick Fil A, and I objected to that because I'm somebody who likes to be conscientious of where I spend my do- dollars and what businesses I support. And I don't think that my family should want to support something so terrible. So it's just like I, I just get picked on all the time. Like, for just trying to, like, I'm not even trying to seek out these fights, but we fight all the time, and then I just feel constantly gaslighted by them, and I know that they're, that they love me, you know, they act like it, but it's really hard having to deal with this all the time, and now I have to go deal with it in person, and it's so stressful, and it's really stressing me out. And anyway, I was just wondering, is that any advice? It's probably too late for this year. Like you said, I'm getting this call after the holidays. But for next year, tell yourself once a week for the next 51 weeks that you don't have to go fucking anywhere for the holidays. The sound of your voice, your misery, you're on the the verge of tears because of what? Because you feel obligated to go home and be abused by these people and you are not obligated to go home and be abused by these people. You can send a card in lieu of shipping your own ass off to mom and dad's house. Send a card, send cookies, send presents for the grandkids or the secret Santa thing or whatever your family does to make the load a little less onerous around the holidays and stay where you are. Hang out with people you like. Build your own Christmas traditions around your friends and your sex partners and your little tribe of orphans and refugees and make your own Christmas and stay the fuck away from these people. All that said, pick your battles. If you are at home and the whole family is traipsing off to Chick-fil-A, 
they don't want to hear from you about hate chicken any more than you want to hear from your brother about your green card. Do unto others. Be the change you would like to see in your own fucking family. And keep your mouth shut. You don't have to eat the fucking hate chicken, but it's not up to you to tell them where to get their goddamn chicken. So if they're all going to go to Chick-fil-A, you can stay home and have leftovers. You can come home after Chick-fil-A and have leftovers, but you don't have to light into them about the Chick-fil-A thing. And they've stopped donating money to hate groups or so they say. So maybe it's safe to eat their hate chicken now. I don't know. I wouldn't touch this shit myself personally. I bear grudges. And then if your brother or your mother or your father or an aunt or an uncle blows up at you because they saw something on Facebook that they disapprove of, you can say to them, you know, I don't approve of Chick-fil-A, but I don't say anything when you all guys want to go fucking choke down that hate chicken and harden your arteries and shorten your lives. I keep my mouth shut. That's what I do for you as a loving gesture, as a family member. That's my gift to you and I expect the same consideration in return. Shut the fuck up about my pot use, about my quote-unquote lifestyle, about my godless commie homo friends, all the rest of it, shut the fuck up. And I will shut the fuck up about your bullshit prophet and your made-up Book of Mormon and all the rest of it and the 40 wives and the teenage girls Joseph Smith married, in air quotes, that you can't see married, and the wagon train that Mormons massacred every man, woman, and child they could get their hands on that they assaulted the something Meadows. You will shut up about all that. And that's our deal. I shut up about this shit. You shut up about my shit. And if they can't shut up about your shit, don't go home. You do not have to turn up in person to be abused by them. Next year, file it away. Hi, Dan. I'm calling about episode 479 where you talked to the cam girl. I just wanted to say that I thought that your advice was spot on. I have been a cam girl for three and a half years, and I also do recruiting for two sites. And in my experience, the lifespan, quote, lifespan of a cam girl is about four to 12 weeks. So I don't know how new this girl is, but chances are she's still sort of in that uh, honeymoon period. A lot of girls have a drop off after about three months with their traffic, and most of them quit. Or, like you said, they sort of endure some abuse. And it takes a really thick skin to really be a long-term cam girl. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm calling in response to episode 479, the guy who is feeling down about having not yet found a job. Um, And all I wanted to say is, dude, you need to give yourself a break. The job hunt is brutal and it takes time. And I'm from Philly, and if I met a guy out of the bar who had been to law school and passed the bar and was actively looking for a job, I would think this is a guy who has his shit together. Hi, I'm calling with a comment for the 29-year-old lawyer in Pennsylvania. Dude, it sounds like you dodged a bullet. If she can't handle a year and a half of unemployment or even three months, how is she going to handle the more complicated and difficult circumstances that life in a decades-long marriage would bring? Of course you're not getting any leads on jobs when you've got someone at home whose emotional happiness rides on your every interview. That's a lot of pressure for anyone. Not only does your financial stability depend on this interview, but so does your relationship. She should be there to support you, not even offer uh, offer you even further rejection than you're already enduring, and imply that you're not getting work as a personal shortcoming, something making you unworthy of love. 
God, no wonder you're having a really hard time. Get this toxic person out of your life. And after you come out the other side, you'll realize how much this relationship was dragging you down when it should have been serving as a flotation device, saving you from drowning in the emotional hell that is unemployment after graduation. Go find someone who will be there for you in both good times and hard times. Good luck. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Mallory Ortberg on Twitter at Malalis at M-A-L-L-E-L-I-S. She's very entertaining on Twitter. You will want to follow her. And speaking of Twitter, Brian Thompson tweets... Okay, but what if Dan Savage has been giving really bad advice? Yeah, what if? That would be terrible, wouldn't it, if I'd been giving really bad advice for all this time? And on this show today, that would be awful. The Savage Lovecast is produced by Nancy Hartunian and me and Nancy and the tech savvy at Risk Youth. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. And I promise that by next week, New Year's Revolution, I'm going to stop giving bad advice and start giving some of that good advice and see if I can do it. Thanks for downloading.